word says about humanity and about people, you will come to understand that from the very beginning, man's heart seeks rebellion against God. And if you get that figured out, then you know, it, it will help us in terms of uh, how God wants us to process life, given that we have this natural attraction uh, to evil. Romans uh, 5.12 says, Therefore, just as through one man, Adam, sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. Why did they all sin? Because they've got an attraction to sin. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned, that's you, me, everybody, have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Why does everybody sin? Because everybody has an innate attraction to evil. Now here's, here's, here's how it works. Once, once a new child born into a wor- the world, the world that was broken, that the newborn had no responsibility for, But once a child is born into this broken world, once that child, every child, who has a properly functioning mind and and body, and sometimes that doesn't always happen out of the womb, but but for the, the child that has a normal functioning brain and body, whatever, each newborn child born into the world reaches something that we call the age of accountability. It's different for different children. For the Jewish people, the custom was about age 12. And that's when they passed from childhood and not knowing the difference, so to speak, but to process the difference between right and wrong, rebellion and submission to authority and all all that sort of thing. Uh, because, Because they're attracted to evil, there is a point in time when we become responsible for those decisions that we make. So Genesis 6, 5 says this. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Now, why did that happen? Because there is a strange attraction that every human being has toward evil, a propensity to commit evil. It doesn't mean we have to do it. It doesn't mean that we do it all the time. But everyone is born with that propensity to be attracted to evil. So here we are today, March the 11th, 2018, and may I submit to you, nothing has changed. Nothing has changed about that. It's the same. Broken world, not responsible for that. Broken people, well, I'm responsible for what happens as a result of my brokenness. I'm responsible. So like the song said, we're all broken vessels. We're really all born as broken vessels, as certainly once we reach that age of accountability. It started at the very beginning of man's existence, as I've implied, and it continues right up to the timeline of the Apostle Paul, who's in prison, chained to a Roman guard, waiting for trial, and he's writing to his, what we think was his favorite church, at Philippi, quite a ways away. Now you could say, not everybody would say this maybe, but you could say at least Adam and Eve had an opportunity to do well. But it feels like everyone born after them is in some kind of a hopeless dilemma. You know, we talked about the pressure. Remember, we talked about uh, Petra and the, clo- the walls closing in, and you're in a place where you just you can't move to the right or to the left, and you're just really boxed in. We're in this homeless, hopeless uh, dilemma of, of not supposed to do evil, but attracted to evil. You ever feel that way, like you're in a hopeless dilemma? It's like the, Paul said, the things I want to do, I don't do, and the things I, I don't do, that, you know, I, you know the, and, the, and the reverse of that. So the world is cursed and broken because evil is in it. And our hearts are broken because we have this inherited attraction to do evil. You say, stop picking on us. Stop picking on mankind. Well, you know, think about um, returning evil for evil. That's what our young men didn't do at the ball game yesterday. 
Now, I don't know if it was evil. I don't, I, I don't know that person's motivation that threw the ball into his face and probably liked to broke his nose. But the response of that is it's easily, oh, yeah? Well, let me see how you like it when I take the ball and throw it into your face. You know? And we, we are naturally drawn to those kinds of thoughts, at least, if not activities. Or, uh, I want to eat my dessert first. I don't care about my mashed potatoes and green beans. I want, to, I want my dessert first. <laughs> we obviously have some dessert firsters in the room. I don't know. <laughs> I had no idea that was going to be the real testing point this morning, but apparently, okay. Um, or I want to be first in line. Why can't I get, hurry up, we're having a potluck. Let me get to be first in line. We said, no, try to let our seniors go first. Yeah, I know, but, but, and we just keep creeping forward because we just don't want to miss out on, you know, what your wife brought and you know it's really good. Uh, Or looking out for number one, always looking out for number one. Uh, That, you know, those are symptoms of what what we're talking about. So, So Paul's in this broken place. And the people who live in Philippi, many miles away, are also in a broken place. We know from the first part of his letter that Paul's been living, Paul, strangely, marvelously, has been living a marvelously productive spiritual life, even in a hard place. His witness is going out to the guards and to all the people there. And it's so strong that word even got back to Philippi many, many miles away that Paul, in the worst of conditions, is still being a champion for Jesus. And, you know, that's what we all love. Every, every one of us have known people that have moved away from this area. And every once in a while, five years later, ten years later, twenty years later, You hear that the Dwight Robertsons of the world and some of these folks are still out there getting it for Jesus. Amen? That's an encouragement uh, to all of our our hearts living in this broken world. And so we know that, that, that Paul's in this hard place, still doing a good job, fighting the good fight against evil, and he's concerned about the Philippian church. Why? Because he's their leader. He started the church. And he knows their leader is not with them. What do leaders do? Leaders help protect. Leaders help to guide. Leaders help to lead. Uh, leaders, leaders are incredibly important in the, in, the, in the life of any organization. And he knows in jail, in prison, that, that he's not there to help them. But they know that he's doing a good job as a follower of Jesus, and it's encouraged them. But how will they do if he's not able to be released from prison and get back to be with them and make sure they're doing okay. And this is where we pick up the letter. He's concerned. He doesn't know if he'll be released or not. He doesn't know if he's going to get to go back and visit this church that he loves and make sure they're doing all right in this broken world with hearts that are broken and are attracted to evil. He doesn't know how they're going to do, and he's concerned. So let's read it. Here we go, Philippians 1, 27 to 30. He says, now, keep this in mind. I'm writing this to you, church. Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, in no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you, and that too from God. For to you, Philippian church, it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, but also to suffer, church, also to suffer for his sake, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. In other words, I'm in conflict. I, you know, I want to be released from here so that I can, I can expand the gospel the best that I know how, but I'm confined. 
And, and this, is, this is suffering. It's not the most pleasant place to be in. And so I'm in it. And, and, and some of you are experiencing or may experience in the days ahead as believers and followers of Jesus and as part of the church at Philippi, you can expect some of this is going to come at you. It's going to come your way. So in a nutshell, I looked at this and as I'm thinking, well, what do I highlight in these three or four verses here? What do, I, what do I bring out? Well, it seemed obvious to me what Paul, he's, there's five things at least that he's, he's making a point to the church about. It's as if he's saying, until I can get out of prison and get back to you, remember this. Remember these things. And this could be a message to us, to, to, the, to, to Marion, Indiana, to the Lakeview Church. Remember these things until Jesus comes back to be with us and to take us. And so here they are, five quick ones. Number one, don't back off from doing good. So he said, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Keep doing right things. Don't stop that. Keep after it. Whether you feel happy, sad, glad, and everything in between, keep doing. Don't back off from the good deeds that you're doing. Number two, press on in unity. Do not let schisms and little divisions happen. I didn't like the way they painted the color they painted the classroom. Now, who chose that stupid carpet? Who wrote those things on the wall? Do you know how hard that'll be to get off one of these days when we want to paint over that? And, you know, and who hired that person? And who, who, who dare, how dare you step on my toes when I've been in the church for years and years and years? And all these kinds of things that happen in the life of a local church where there can be division and to pull away from unity. I didn't like the way that, I didn't like that Amazing Grace tune. I'm used to the other tune. Why do they have to sing all that, new, that stuff? You see what I'm saying? That, that's the kind of stuff that should be muzzled and kept within ourselves and take it to the Lord. And if there's somebody that's appropriate to talk to about it, well, do that privately and carefully because press on in unity, not in division, not in self-centered, or not as I have to have my way, or I'm used to, I'm used to controlling things, or I'm this, that, or, the, or I've got my favorites, but in unity. Number three, expect opposition. Do you know that the, de I, this is 47 years talking here, you know, you, you, have to, you have to put up with those old stories once in a while from somebody like that. But you also, you know, you, you can't pay for this kind of calluses and blisters and stuff that, that leaders get when they've been in the trenches for a long time. And I can tell you this, expect opposition. Every church that I know of that has any kind of movement and, uh, and impact in the culture has by the enemy of our faith, people planted inside those organizations to create division and lack of unity. Now, I don't know who you are. You, this is a church, amen. Perhaps the devil has planted someone to cause disunity right here in this church. Now, guess what? The good news is you don't have to do that. You can get saved and get your act together and not have to play that role. Or go somewhere else and bother somebody, but don't do it here. <laughs> Amen? I mean, but expect it. Expect how many of you that are, have, are married cannot say that at some point in your relationship, and usually earlier than later, that the devil has not come in and tried to rip your relationship apart. You know I'm speaking the truth. Maybe it didn't happen to every single person, but it happens more times than not. Why? Because they're planted to create disunity, division, separation, uh, not to model the things of God, covenant relationship, how God wants to interact with his people, how marriage is a picture of that, how baptism is a picture of the, of the celebrated Christian life, the exchange life. All these things fit together. So expect, church, Philip, Philippians, Lakeview, 
Uh, the other life-giving churches in the area that we know about expect opposition. He says, in no way alarmed by your opponents. Don't, don't be shocked. Don't be shocked that there are people going to stand up against you. Number four, he says, remember this, we're in this together. We're in this together. He says, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me. I got it. You got it. You got it. We all got it together. We all got opposition from the enemy. We're in this thing together. But guess what? We know what the end looks like. We know what the end of the story looks like. And for those who stick it out, and those who trust God and who, who are, are persevering in trial, we will celebrate it together. Amen? We'll celebrate. We should have a better amen than that, it seems to me. I don't know. I need the encouragement, maybe. Uh, amen. We're in this together. And then the fifth one is, I already alluded to it. We win in the end. We win in the end. He says, destruction for them, but salvation for you. Destruction for the, for the troublemakers, salvation for you. So in reality, the followers of Jesus Christ will, and this was the reason for the title of the message this morning, will always be juggling periodic moments of joy in this life with the experiencing of suffering and sadness. So we have this going on in our lives all the time. It just, it's just like a teeter-totter. And it just kind of keeps floating back and forth over the course of our life. I've had so many wonderful high times in the Lord and in my life and in, in our, our family. And, and then there are times of suffering and sadness. And what Paul's saying is we need as believers to mature and help one another so that we, 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 can, we can bear this together and learn how to juggle joy and suffering and sadness at the same time. That's not easy. It's, it's pretty tough. So this is why simultaneous joy and sadness. Why? Why do we talk about this? Because the life of every Philippian Christian is going to experience joy because of the blessings of Christ, but they will also suffer from time to time due to the presence of evil that comes against every believer. They're going to have sadness, and they are going to have uh, a lack of joy because they're suffering. Now, I, I could go back and just some of the things that I know about the history of this church, and I can point to, to some moments of deep sadness and suffering on the part of this congregation. That's the devil. That's the expect the opposition. It happens. The church must learn to juggle sadness and joy and gladness at the same time without falling off the deep end. Same thing in a marriage. Amen? Same thing raising teenagers. <laughs> you know, that's, that's how it works. That's how life is. And it's the same way for every Marian Christian and every Lakeview Christian in my mind. Because when we understand the why, why is it like this of something, it often helps us in processing the impact of the pain and the suffering that we may have to deal with from time to time. It helps us with the help of the Holy Spirit to, to juggle that. And you know what I'm talking about. There are some people that have, have had tremendous challenges come into their lives. Perhaps you're in one right now, or perhaps you just came out of one. And, and to just have an understanding in your heart as to why these things happen to good people helps us to process when the sadness sets in and the suffering is there and, and it's difficult to see light at the end of the tunnel. That's the why. The why is it's a broken world and the why is we're attracted to evil and it may not be the evil you did this time, but it may be the evil someone else did that caused you sadness and pain. Or it can be your, of your own doing, our own doing. The world's broken and filled with temptation to do evil. People are born with broken hearts that have an attraction to doing evil. And that's the why. That's the why 
this keeps coming back and forth in our lives. I said to our head of school uh, just this last week, I said, Brian, it, it seems like since you've been here, you've gone from one thing, catastrophe, to another catastrophe. Now, they're not catastrophes that take the school down. There are personal catastrophes that are happening in people's lives from time to time, and especially in families and homes that are, are not rooted in Christ. And so this is to be expected. So you know, he, didn't, he didn't say, well, I think I'm, I wrote out my resignation. I think I'm going to quit next week. You know, thankfully, he didn't do that. He, he understands the why of it. We as leaders, as church leaders, as people on the board, as your Sunday school leaders and, and our staff or whatever, we understand the why of it. So here's a good question, I think. How is the follower of Jesus any different from anyone else in the world who has to deal with an evil world and a heart that is naturally attracted to evil? What's the difference between Lakeview Christians, true Christians, and anybody in the world that doesn't have a faith in Christ? I mean, we're all in the same predicament, right? And the answer is no, it is not the same. Yes, the circumstances are the same in the sense of broken world, broken heart. Yes, that's the same. But you see, God, now this is a powerful truth that will be a blessing to you. God in his plan from before the foundation of the world, do you know what that means before the foundation of the world? That means for you got here, for anybody got here before that whole creation first day started, before the foundation of the world, God made it possible for you and me, Paul and the Philippian believers, and everyone who put their faith in Jesus to simultaneously handle joy and suffering in this life with a different view from the rest of the world. It's different. Why? Because we have hope and we have help in this life as we know that... Uh, Jesus has, has done an incredible thing for us. Some, now, some people, some Christians, some believers here in this room and listening on the internet, some of us are going to have more joy and less suffering before we die than somebody else. And some people are going to have more suffering than joy in this life by the time you die and cross over. But we all have hope. We all have purpose. We all have meaning in our lives. We all have help through the Holy Spirit who walks with us in our pain, walks with us in our sadness, walks with us in, in the valleys, and celebrates us with the joy of our salvation when we're on the mountaintop. That's the difference between the world having a broken world and a broken heart and Christians having a broken world and a broken heart. That's the difference. We're not the same. And this is the powerful truth from God that in Him, in Him, we cannot back off from doing good even when we're sad. Even when we're in a period of suffering, we can still do good. That we can press on in unity even when we didn't get our way and we're sad. We can still, for the sake of the kingdom and the church, we can sublimate those things and trust the Holy Spirit and still walk in unity with one another. That, that's, that, that, that's why we can, ex, in expecting opposition, we don't get the fire shocked out of us and we fall off the tater wagon, so to speak. Because we expected that to happen from time to time. And that's why in knowing that, that, that in Christ we're in this together, sometimes misery does love company, but it sure helps to know somebody else has been through what you're going through. Amen? And you can be an encouragement to someone and be in prayer with them. And there's not a person in this world that has ever lost a child that my wife and I and our family can't minister to because of what we walked through. It doesn't make us more spiritual. It doesn't make us with more gold stars in our crown. It just means that we have something perhaps to offer someone aching and hurting in that arena. And that goes for every one of us because we all have trials and struggles and valley experiences. Amen? But we're in it together. And we know that in the end it will be okay whether, whether as a Christian 
you had more joy and less suffering than your neighbor, or you're the one who had more suffering and less joy. Because in the end, it will all even itself out at the foot of the cross. Amen? The heavenly rewards are so great, we can't even count it all. So where did I get that? Where did I get this before the foundations of the world? Listen to this, Ephesians 1. It's a little long, but let me, let me give it. It's really great. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as, catch it, just as he chose us in Jesus, just as he chose us in him before the first day of creation, way before that, the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him in love. In love, he chose us, predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise and glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him, in Jesus, we have a redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. See, the world doesn't have forgiveness of their trespasses. And you may be sitting here or listening by the internet and you're still sitting in your trespasses. That's called sin. That's called attraction to evil and participating in it. And there's no joy in that. There's no gladness in that. And so he said, redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. He made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times, that is the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. In him also we have obtained an inheritance. We're in this together. We know who wins. Having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. That means your suffering experience. That means the thing you wish had never happened to you, that thing that you feel like may have been an emotional trauma that has tainted you perhaps for the rest of your life is a part of the counsel of his will, that he has allowed certain things to come into our lives to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. That, wow, that's a series right there. I, would, I don't know if I would ever get out of that before Jesus comes if I started on that one. He says, whether he gets to, Paul says, whether I get to see you again, Lakeview, Philippi, whether I get to see you again or not, I want to hear that you are standing firm. If Gene Cockrell could look over the balcony of heaven, he would want to look around and say, all of those who were there when I was there, I want to see you standing firm in the gospel. I don't care if Tom Canan took over. I don't care if Dave Terhune took over after a while. And I don't care if Timoteo McClellan is in charge uh, as the pastor at this time, in charge of nothing, really. But privileged to lead and to speak. You understand what I'm saying? I want to hear that you're standing firm, Jesus says. Standing firm. Some view the fact of suffering and sadness as a death blow to ever having any future joy again. And that's a lie from the enemy. The fact that you've had a hard place in your world, you know, that, that doesn't have to be the death blow to you ever having joy again. It's interesting. Now I'm going to give you some world stuff here. It's rooted in Scripture, but it's just some world stuff. And so let me just... Uh, play along with me for just a moment and say, well, that's, that's psychology and that's uh, psychobabble. You know how they say sometimes. But let me just give you some thoughts to, to think about for a moment. A, a fellow by the name of Richard Tedeschi, he's a psychologist, and he treats people 
who are victims of uh, post-traumatic stress syndrome. That's his specialty. People who have experienced an emotional, a negative emotional trauma, perhaps over and over again, and who may be wondering, can I ever experience joy and gladness and, and happiness ever again? These are the people he works with. And this is a quote from this guy. He says, quote, To achieve the greatest psychological health, some kind of suffering is necessary. But isn't that interesting? God has already set it up that we would have some of this in our life. I'm not sure all the reasons for that. I can think of some. And I think suffering, suffering wakes us up, doesn't it? Suffering breaks us out of a lackadaisical, let George do it kind of a mindset where we're not really on the cutting edge and we're not really making the kind of... We might, we might be living a good life, but we're not making the kind of difference that God designed us to be. You've heard me say this before, and it's not, it's not original with me, but one of the greatest sins I know is becoming less than God created us to be. It doesn't mean we're living in a dreadful, sinful way. It just means we're not, we haven't stepped up to all that we're capable of in Jesus Christ. We know that to be true right here at Lakeview. It's true. See any empty pews? See any room for some more unchurched people? So some, somewhere, I can't get them all in. I'm trying. I'll try the best I can. I'm trying to give truth. I'm trying to give things that will be helpful and relevant for people. But I can't fill it all up. Somebody's got to help with that. Amen? I mean, I'm not picking on anybody. This is just how it works. Any church. Most churches have some room for people for that matter. So this idea of suffering brings life into focus somehow. And, and when, you hit, when you get a hard, really hard one, it's like you find yourself on your knees. You say, God, I just realized I haven't been talking to you very much, but I sure need to talk to you now. I surely do. Well, I, I, got, I got, the doctor said I got something. They don't know how to, they don't even know how to uh, diagnose it. They don't even know what it is. We're going to pray for somebody at the end of the service here that they don't, they don't know how to, how to help her. And so they brought it to the church and said, maybe the church would pray and ask God to help the doctors figure it out or just heal this person. It wakes us up. And, 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 and suffering is necessary for us to have some kind of health and balance. So here, here's a, now this is the world. But let me just run this down for you. A fellow by the name of Eric Barker, he said, there's eight steps to handling suffering and sadness. And, and the world can just do this, along with Christians, you know. But, but think about some of these uh, issues. Number one, if you're going to deal productively with suffering and sadness, most of us don't have a problem uh, dealing with joy and gladness. So I'm not spending much time there. We'll spend some time on the suffering and the sadness and what happens. Number one, perceive and believe. Perceive and believe. What does he mean by that? The first thing that we need to do when we're facing sadness, when we're facing a, 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 a catastrophe in our lives, facing a difficulty, is to make sure you recognize it as soon as possible. In other words, you're paying attention. You're not sleeping at the wheel. It's like the outfielder out there, and it's in the eighth inning, and it, they've not hit one ball out into his area. And you look out there and you can tell he's sleeping at the switch. And someone from the, from the stands says, get your head in the game. Get your head in the game. Pay attention. You may, they may hit one right to you at a critical moment. And so perceive and believe. Perceive that there's an issue going on in our life and, and believe that somehow you can, you can push through it with somehow some kind of help. And we know where the help comes from as Christians. Number two, learn how to manage your emotions when you're in a, a trial. We need to learn how to manage our emotions. I can't help but go back to the ball game again. Somehow, someway, in the twinkling of an eye, that young athlete managed his emotions. Manage, we must manage our emotions. When we get into a... a you know, one of those, di I call it a dialogue at home sometimes or with one of our kids or something. And God's saying, manage your emotions in that moment. When you get, in, when you get into a, a, you know, we don't have those kind of board meetings around here, thank God. But, you know, you get some churches, you get in a board meeting, manage your emotions. I hear these stories, they're crazy stories. So you know you're in trouble 
but you're keeping your cool. You know, they, 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 they talked about skin divers. I'm not a skin diver, so I've never done this before, but I've had claustrophobia feelings before. And we are told that there are a significant number of skin divers who die and they still had oxygen in their tanks. How did that happen? Well, they got in some kind of a scenario where they felt like maybe the, they looked at their meter and said, oh, I think my tank's about out, and maybe had a little uh, fright from not sucking the air in just right, or a little hiccup in the valve or something or whatever, and instinctively feeling, feeling like, I got to breathe, instinctively, what do we do when we have to breathe? We get our head above water, or we get the mask off of our face, or we, we pull anything and everything that's in the way of our nose and our mouth where we can get oxygen in, and they do that. Instinctively, they pull the mask off, and there's still air in the tank, and they perish needlessly. So when you know you're in trouble, manage, with, of course with us, with God's help, Manage your emotions and be, be cautious about how far you let yourself go in, term, in terms of wild, reckless abandon because you're frustrated or hurting. Number three, be a quitter. Be a quitter. No, nobody wants to be around a quitter. What does he mean by be a quitter? The best way, here's what he says, the best way to understand this one is if you're going to have to take a punch from a cage fighter, if you think you're going to have to take a punch, or if, you're going to have, if you live near a hurricane, and one's coming through. The best thing is, don't take the punch. The best thing is, don't stay for the hurricane. Get out of the cage. Get out of town. We did that at Myrtle Beach one time. Hurricane coming through, and my dad and I looked at each other, walking on the beach, and the wind was so strong, I thought it was going to blow the hotels over. It was terrible. And we had another day. We wanted to have fun. And we said, nope, let's get out. Sometimes there's a, there's a time and a place to get out of Dodge. Sometimes there's a time and a place. If you've, got, if you've got alcoholism running through your DNA and your, your best friends are drinking all the time, you might want to give some thought to being a quitter. If you're having trouble with pornography and lust, you might want to consider not going to an R movie. You understand what I'm saying? Just don't light the fire. Be a quitter. There's times to quit on some things for our own good and protection. So don't be there when it hits. Number four, be delusional. Ooh, what in the world does that mean? Get crazy, be delusional. So he says here, crazy successful people. See, they've studied, the psychiatrists and psych psychologists study people who've made it through tremendously difficult circumstances in life. And so they said crazy successful people and people who survive tough situations are all overconfident. Highly, overly confident. Okay, so how great do you think Lakeview Christian School can be? And are you sometimes overly confident on how awesome and outstanding it can be? Maybe, but stay that way if you are. You want to know what I think about this church and its growth and its, and its potential in this community? If, if you really want to know what I think, it'll blow your mind. I am highly overconfident. I really am. I thought this church would be run 600 five years ago. I thought we might be at 1,000 by now. I still think that. Can I get an amen on that? Is any of you confident on what, you know, looking over the balcony of heaven and so are you still getting it? You still doing good? You still believing in it? Are you still gone for it? Are you still in it? Everybody rowing in the boat together? Everybody got it? Highly confident. Be, I'm, I, you know, if you're around me, you know I can get delusional about it. I can get so delusional about it, it sounds like I'm competitive with the church across town. I'm not. In my heart, I want every life-giving church to explode. But I'm delusional about this one. I really am. I, I'm totally delusional about this. And, and I hope that you feel the same way, and if you're not, you need to pray about that. Number five. Let me back up there. There was a line here that I skipped over. It said, so you, so you want to see the world accurately, but you need to believe. I, I, I believe that this church, in rock and roll terms, is a rock star. That's what I think about this church. 
this church and its history and its heart and its people and the new people that are coming on board, this is a rock star church, if you understand what I mean by that. Number five, prepare. Even if it's too late for preparation, continue to prepare. Good survivors always concentrate on the present, but they plan for the future. They plan for the future. So we've got a great Easter planned. We've got, we, we're expecting crowds that we can't manage. We, we've got, we've, we hope people will come in and eat a free meal with us so they can hear the devotion that we're going to share that day and invite them to come back the next day for Easter. And, and we just got plans and we got tons of plans. Our staff are not short on plans and our board is not short on trying new and different things to touch the world. Number six, stay busy, busy, busy. If you're facing a trial and suffering, they say, stay busy, busy, busy. Here's a good quote. The hands force order on the mind. Because if you don't force order on your mind when you're in the valley, your mind will take you bad places. Hurtful, sad, depressive places. And so, stay busy. Resilient people know that staying busy not only gets you closer to your goals, but it's also the best way to stay calm. Because you're busy. Number seven, make it a game. Dealing with, with sadness and suffering, make it a game. Survivors take great joy from even their smallest successes. Even in hard places, celebrate the small successes. You know, we, we're getting ready. Hopefully this week they're going to start on many... to figure out how to pay for all that. Amen? But we'll do it together. We're in it together. Amen? But I'm thrilled that somebody bought us some more bells. I celebrate so it may seem like a small thing compared to the roof repair, but we, we got new bells. We're getting a new landscaping out there at the crosses. You'll see it, before, hopefully before Easter. Some people have, have come together to make that happen. Uh, good, there, we, we, we need to learn to celebrate even the things that may seem small at times until the bigger things come along in God's time. Let me tell you a story. I don't think I've ever told this story. I've told it to a few of you. One time when our son, um, David, who left us at age 14 fighting a bone cancer, for, for a solid year, uh, Cynthia and I... Uh, took turns, and sometimes we'd do it together, but mostly took turns so I could keep my work going and that sort of thing. And we'd drive from Waterloo, Iowa to Iowa City, University of Iowa City Hospital. We'd go through uh, Cedar Rapids on the way. It was about halfway. We'd stop and get some, uh, what are those donuts, Krispy Kreme donuts, and take them to the nurses so they would all take good care of my son, you know, give him some donuts and whatever. Now, you need to understand, and those of you who are maybe in a treatment right now or have been alongside someone who has gone through a horrendous treatment, basically they poison you. Uh, chemotherapy is poison. It's just poison. Hopefully it poisons the, the cancer. But uh, I can remember one particular time, by this time in our treatments, our son, if, if he had 200 shots... That was not enough, not a large enough number because he had just got injection after injection after injection after injection and he hated shots. He hated them. Anybody hate shots and injections? Do I have to get a shot? <laughs> Go to the dentist. Am I going to have to have Novocaine? We're gonna, you know, we don't, we don't like it. And he didn't like it. But he had by this time probably had well over 200 times that he was given injections. So he was a trooper, trust me. He knew what it was like to get poked. But let me tell you what is little, you know, we're talking about celebrate the little things. T take something that you don't like that is very uncomfortable to you, that you don't ever really want to get used to because it's just no fun, and turn it into something where you can get a little bit of a joy out of it. And so here's what he did. Every time for those 200 some plus times that he got a shot. Every time I was ever with him, he said the same thing to the nurse before they gave him the injection. He said, would you just be kind enough before you, you give me the shot? So would you just be kind enough? Just, would you please just do this? Count to 10. 
You can count down to one or you can count up to 10. When you get to one, go ahead and put it in. Or when you get to 10, go ahead and put it in. I'm ready. But just would you do that? So one day I was there and this young nurse came in probably from nursing school, fresh out of the school, trying to do a good job, trying to do what she thought was the right thing to do. And she got ready to give him his injection to get him started on his, his chemo. And he said, ma'am, would you, would, you would you just count to 10 before you put it in? She goes, no, I'm not counting to 10. You're 14 years old. You need to buck up. You need to learn how to do this and take it on the chin like a young man will take it on the chin. Now, I'm grinding my teeth. I really am. I, I'm, I'm, where, I'm where Spencer was. I'm thinking, did you do that on purpose and throw that ball and hit me in the nose on purpose? Did you, what, what's that all about? And I, I, was, I was pretty angry. I thought, here's this, here's this young man fighting for his life. He's got a death sentence hanging over. He's already been poked 200 times plus times, and you won't count to 10. So I kept my mouth shut. I muted it. Just like I said, there's some things shouldn't come out of our mouth. And when she was finished, she was ready to leave the room, and I followed her out. You want to know what I said? Anybody want to know what I said? <laughs> okay, I'll tell you what I said. And the Lord helped me because I was able to say it, I think, with some degree of, of patience and, and love because I didn't want her to, I don't want her to go, I don't want her to have Jesus misrepresented through my life or David's. And I just said, you know, ma'am, I, I just want to make you aware of something. This young man has probably had well over 200 injections. Every time I've ever been with him, he asks him to count to 10 or count down to one. It's a small thing for him. Just a little win, just a little preparation for him to deal with something that wasn't pleasant. And I said, I just want you to know this. Out of all of those people, you're the only one who refused. You're the only one. I hope you'll think about that. And I left it alone. I don't know what kind of a nurse she is today, but I hope she's a more sensitive and caring person. So sometimes you make it a game, and you, you know, you, he, was, he was trying to deal with a very, very difficult situation with a little, 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 sometimes we can play a little game with our, our suffering, and we can find some little small caveats of wins in the midst of a bigger problem that we're dealing with. I can't tell you, the last one is, I'm done, shoot. Get help and give help. That's the last one. Get help and give help. I can't tell you the number of times in 47 years of ministry that some really good people waited too long to ask for help. That's happened right here in this church since we've been here. There are some people who had some problems in some areas, and they either hid it, were too proud, were embarrassed, or whatever it is, and they waited too long for help. Asked for help. I've seen it. And don't get help from just anywhere. Get help from people who know the Word of God and who have demonstrated the practice of that in their lives. And then even when we're hurting and confused, it always helps to give help. And that's why I say, you know, once when Pastor Jim and the team start up our, our meals to the St. Saint Martin's and some of these places where we're trying to give help and be blessings, some of us are in the hardest of places, but I would encourage you, give consideration to volunteering to do something good to help somebody who's in need. Well, these are, these are worldly things, but if we take the power of the Holy Spirit and add that to these kinds of principles, you know, there's nothing, that, uh, there's nothing the enemy could do to stop us. Don't back off from doing good. Keep a good witness. Press on in unity. Disunity happens when we talk about people when we are slanderous, when we are gossipers, when we are divisive and have an independent spirit and it must be my way or the highway. Expect opposition. The enemy doesn't bother with status quo people. The enemy comes after people and, and churches that are making some impact or have high potential for impact. We're in this together. Let's bear one another's burdens in prayer and we win in the end. Remember his promises. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggles not with flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness.
in the heavenly places. Would you stand with me? I'm going to ask you as we close today, first of all, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, if you don't have the help of the Holy Spirit, and you're, maybe you're in a crisis and in a place you just need somebody to pray for you or whatever, I encourage you, people will get out of your way. I know those pews are close. I know they are. Half the pews got to dump out for somebody in the middle to get out, but people will get out of your way, and we, we want you to feel free. In fact, Im, impress you to come and, and come to this altar and talk to God about it. And if you want someone to pray with you, we'll be very, very happy to do that. In closing this morning, I want us to pray for an unnamed individual, someone that um, is loved very much by someone in this church. They have another church that they attend, but this is a young wife, a young mother with several children, one of which is a special needs child. She's in her 30s in the hospital. She's lost 60 pounds. The doctors don't know what to do next. She needs to be with the family as near as we can tell and needs healing and needs wisdom for the doctors who are attending to her. And so perhaps if some of you would just come and say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to pray for that person. I don't know, God knows the name, but I'm going to come and partner with the prayers of other people. Just come quickly. Some of you just come and pray. See, this is an unspoken, unspoken in the sense of name and all the details, and I know that. But let's pray, and let's, let's have a season of prayer before we leave. It's one and a half minutes after 12. I will not keep you more than a minute. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the precious truth of your word. Uh, thank you for the encouragement you give us when we find ourselves in tough places. Help us to learn how to manage joy and sadness at the same time with your help. It's not easy for us in this world, and we know one day that'll all be over with, and we'll be with you forever in a great place, and no more sadness. Till then, we ask you for your help. And make us wise, make us strong, mature us, as Lakeview Church, mature us. Take us to another level in the Holy Spirit. And Lord, let it start with me. Let it start with each one seeking your wisdom and your direction. Now, Father, as we close, there may be some who don't know Jesus and I pray that they would reach out to him even right now as we speak and say, Jesus, I believe in you. I need a savior. I'm sorry for my sin. I ask your forgiveness. Please come and come into my life and my heart and save me. And then, Father, I pray that you will be with this young mother and this family. There's obviously a church family that are praying for this, uh, this young mother and wife. And Lord, somebody in this church right here loves them so much and believes so much in the power of prayer that we've been asked to bring this to your throne room and ask for a miracle. Whatever it is that you send, Lord, we ask you for mercy and a miracle in this mother's life. Be with the doctors and give them wisdom and help them, Lord, as they're trying to help this young woman. Now we love you and we need your help and your protection and thank you for the refreshment and opportunity to be in your house and help us to believe for great and mighty things in the life of this church as a result of your power and your unleashing in the spirit realm. We love you. And all of God's people said together in the name of Jesus, Amen, and praise the Lord. God bless you. Thank you for your attentive to the scriptures. And I hope you'll process this thing, these things and these truths and be encouraged. Stand firm.